You're listening to the Irish Times. This morning, Pat, Added Time, our podcast, mm-hmm. brings news to the world. You have news? Not news. It's not news. We bring good tidings. In fact, what we bring is a bet. Go on. It's a good bet. It's not my bet, but it's a bet I saw on Twitter this morning. And I'm going to credit uh, Ger Delahunty. I don't know who he is, but he's into his horse racing. And, he, and on his Twitter bio, he's a pick of Croke Park. So he sounds like our kind of people. Fair enough. We're not condoning gambling in any way, shape or form, but in another way we kind of I mean, are. you say that. Yeah. Uh, this is hard not to condone. Yeah. So the, the tweet says, uh, betting strategy. All the money that you're going to stake on Cheltenham that you've put aside. Yeah. Bet it now on racing to go ahead at Cheltenham. If racing does go ahead, you now have a 75% bigger bank to bet with. Is that what the odds are? Yeah. It, it's about that. It, it, it sort of vacillates from day to day between sort of five to four against or four to five. You know, it's, you know, it, it, it's not, um, it, it, it sort of goes between odds against and odds on. And what if racing doesn't go ahead? Then you don't, you were going to spend that money betting on Cheltenham anyway and you don't need it anymore. <laughs> I, that sounds like genius. I feel like... Jared Delahunty is an actual genius for that. Yeah, fair enough. I'm not going to put Jaron in charge of any banks anytime soon. Oh, I hope he's not a banker. I, well, I mean, uh, why wouldn't you? That, that sounds, this, there's pure logic involved here. It sounds like something, yeah, it sounds okay, it does. Okay, it does, does presuppose that uh, we have all put money aside yeah. for, for Cheltenham, which starts tomorrow week, by the way. Well, you hope it does. It might not. It might not, but if it doesn't, sure, all that money was going to go to waste anyway. All right, fair enough. You convinced me. <laughs> the interesting thing, though, around the coronavirus and its relation to sporting events mm. is, um, so Cheltenham is supposed to be up in the air. I don't know if it is or not, but yeah. it's supposed to be up in the air. Uh, and yet, City are playing United uh, next, this coming Sunday. Yeah. Uh, 80,000 people at it. Uh, not a word about it. Public Health England's medical director came out earlier this morning and told people to expect widespread infection and quotes fairly soon. Right. And yet, uh, even though all the Serie A games were pulled mm-hmm. at the weekend, the Ireland's remaining two games in the Six Nations are gone. But there's no, there's not a whisper of the idea of calling off Premier League games. Is this conspiracy uh, to allow Liverpool to win this bleeding league? As uh, soon as Liverpool have the League One, they're shutting down the Premier League. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you, that's exactly what's going to happen. It'd be far funnier if they left them get to within one game of winning it and then said, actually, we're scrapping this season. I mean, you say funnier. Funny for an awful <laughs> lot of people. I'm not sure you would find it funny. I kind of would, actually. Uh, <laughs> even with a Liverpool supporting hat on, I think I'd find that quite amusing. That would be funny. We'd be going, nope, didn't win it, lads. Yeah. Didn't win it. Yeah. Tough shit. No, one, one game <laughs> off. You needed one one more win in your last you eight bottled games it again. or something, and yeah, Liverpool bottlers. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it would be even funnier if they you remember that talk that was circled for about three weeks uh, a while ago about getting Stephen Gerrard back for for the last seven games to I give did, him a medal. Yeah. Should get him back in, and the, and as soon as he straps on the boots again, no. It's over. Yeah, we're calling this one off. Another slip, Jar. Sorry, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are kind of laughing our way to the gallows here uh, a little bit. Uh, the, the, the whole thing is very serious, but it is interesting that people always turn to 
uh, sport as the thing to cancel. Mm. You know, there's no sense of, you know, nobody's cancelling plays or concerts or anything like that. Like, it, it, it's, you know, they, they it's Cheltenham and it's uh, the Six Nations and stuff like that. There have been a couple of big bands that have cancelled European tours. I forget who now, but I've definitely heard of this recently. Somebody that had an arena tour in Europe and they pulled it. Oh, well, then I'm wrong, so. Mm. But yeah. you're right, it's a conspiracy against sport. Conspiracy I'm sorry for cutting across you. Yeah. Sorry for shitting on my point. Anyway, uh, it's a sport that uh, is not being cancelled, as we said, uh, is the Premier League. And uh, Emmett Malone had a really cool piece in the paper over the weekend about support uh, football supporting uh, in Ireland. And included in were obviously Premier League teams and League of Ireland teams. And we're going to have them on in a while to uh, chat about it because it was a really fascinating uh, survey and <laughs> a huge amount of work he put into it. Uh, so we're going to have him on in a while. But first, Sean Moran is here. How are you, Sean? I'm grand, thanks. You look very fresh for a man who spent a weekend at Congress. It is, but perhaps it'd look worse if I'd been out in that weather. <laughs> I suppose uh, so. Particularly in Oman, Saturday <laughs> evening. It's a cause for me to celebrate being in Congress for a change. <laughs> Uh, in the pantheon of uh, of, of these things, uh, very little earth was moved, I guess, uh, compared to some some other congresses, and yet bits of bits of housekeeping yeah. done here and there. Uh, it's a significant year every year, um, ending in zero and five is a year when the the units can bring motions on the playing rules. Mm. Now there are obviously the standing committees in Croke Park that can that can tweak the rules on other years. But um, so you actually saw on the Friday night this reasonably Im- Im- important um, amendment from the Raheens Club in Kildare, mm. you know, banning the pass back essentially in in, in football. And uh, as with many a, a weighty motion, it got very little contemplation and uh, just well, kind of ushered through. Well, it got, it got no contemplation. Absolutely. Well, apart from the people proposing it, yeah. yeah well, so. let's explain what it is that, uh, when you say pass back. It's basically prohibiting a player who has received a kick out from passing the ball back to his goalkeeper. Yeah. Now, it wasn't long before yeah. the professors of loophole were on the move uh, yeah. and it was pointed out that if you had a defender taking uh, the kick out, that the ball could be passed back to him. Mm. Um, they're going to look at that, but I didn't get the impression it was felt to be a, a major threat to the spirit of the motion. That, in other words, if a team wanted to tie up a defender uh, doing that sort of thing, uh, good luck to them. Good luck to them yeah. was kind of the, the the view of it. But I thought it was interesting. The thing was no longer, no, no sooner on the books than yeah. already. You know, social media was ablaze. Well, social media was even better in that. Uh, like the wording of of the of from from the official GAA account on Friday night, the the wording was uh, that if uh, uh, if the ball is kicked out, the defender can't kick can't then uh, play it back, and uh, people were pounced on that and going, right. "What if they don't kick it to a defender?" Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which isn't in the rule at all. Yeah. Um, would I before we get into the nuts and bolts of it? Uh, like, I I was absolutely stunned. Uh, to find that there was no debate on this. Yeah, yeah. That, now, whether it's a, a good or a bad rule, I think probably is a, is, a, is a, probably a good rule. But for there to be nobody yeah. even asking it, a question about it, you see, even clarifying something like that. But what, what you had in this case was something that came through a club and, uh, and a county convention. Uh, 
Uh, normally, what we've become used to in terms of rule changes uh, is the deliberative process mm. of a committee that uh, brings forward things, uh, commissions research, looks at it, and then proposes this, frequently trials it in, in the National League. But yes, if you do steer it through on what I was referring to, that uh, log cabin to White House trail of mm. your own little club all the way to Congress mm. to bring your motion through, um, if you can actually succeed in doing that, you're, you're dropping a you're dropping a completely untrialed uh, idea into the middle of the game. And afterwards, um, you know, we're asking John Horne and Tom Ryan, what's the timetable for this? And we're told, well, immediately it'll 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 come in. You know, in uh, in, in a few weeks it'll be there for the intercounty championships, um, not for the league and for everyone else, regardless of whether they be in mid-competition or not. Uh, and the, the the thinking was, this applies to all uh, football matches. All units, yeah. All units. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, like like the old British Empire, that any stage of the year there's always <laughs> someone running a competition. <laughs> exactly. Uh, therefore, you can't really... The sun never sets on Gaelic football. <laughs> on, on, on competitions, no. So uh, off, uh, it'll be introduced, yeah. So so it is, it is strange. I remember, I think, 10 years ago, something similar happened when, uh, I think it was a Mayo motion to re- basically redefine the hand pass Yes. Went went through, yeah. um, but it 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 shows you've kind of got this twin track approach. You've got the the sort of the official proposals, which are all tried, tested, and, and analysed. But then you can also have a club. Now I think there's a kind of a propaganda value in it, which Tom Ryan referred to briefly, which was that in recent times uh, a view has developed that if you are a club trying to bring through a motion to change the rules. You might as well forget about it because it'll be it'll be voted down because people won't pay attention and they'd be suspicious of it. Uh, and I think because this <laughs> actually... Whereas this one was voted through because this, people didn't pay attention to it. It, 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 it was at sort of uh, peak election <laughs> fever on the Friday night. So it, it went through. But the feeling uh, at Central Council was that, look, a club has brought this, this through and we should implement it... Um, you know, uh, as soon as possible rather than kick it down the road and maybe, uh, res- you know, not bring it in until 2021. So there was a sort of a, uh, th- th- there was a purpose to as well, that that purpose to bringing it in sooner rather than later. Well, Maliki, you looked at it from, you were a column about this this morning, mm. that in a way this decision, which was made in two minutes, literally made in two <laughs> minutes on, on, on the, if you put a timer on it, that it kind of shows the lack of respect that Gaelic football tends to get often with these things. Well, no, I, I just, it struck me as a as a complete contrast to all the preamble that there was in the weeks building up to Congress about the black card coming into hurling. Mm. Now, I fully concede, you know, a black card coming into hurling is a bigger change than this, but this is not a small change. This is, you know... It's funny, I was just talking to somebody this morning who was at his uh, GA, his football team's training on Friday night uh, while Congress was going on and they spent the whole of the session practising a kick-out routine where uh, if you're being uh, subjected to a murderous press by the other team, how to finagle it so that you can play the ball back to the keeper. And they, they spent the whole, spent a full hour on it. And then, then check their phones afterwards to find out that the thing was being outlawed. Like, and that's just a club team, you know. Like, this is, this is something that's in the game. These teams have, like, 
if this comes in for championship, county teams have essentially there's they're they're near the end of the league. They have two games towards the end of the league, and then whatever challenge matches. And in nine weeks, whatever kickout strategies they've had for low these many years, uh, have to change. And fine, I un- and I'm not saying that the rule is bad. It could, it could be a great rule. It could turn out to be fantastic. But for it to go through with not one person in the hall standing up and asking a question about it, nobody either saying like a vehement argument for it or a kind of a, I hear lads, let's hang on here. Do we really understand what we're doing here? Um, nobody making the case for what goalkeepers have become in the game. Like goalkeepers in football have, are so different now to even just 10 years ago. It's a different skill. It's a different person in your panel is the goalkeeper now than was the case 10 years ago. And this rule seems designed to bring it back to somebody who will just kick the ball along. It seems it, it seems to be a fatwa on the short kickout. And that's fine, you know, if that's the game people want. But again, there was no... You know, this is a structural change and at no point did anybody sort of stand up and present their vision for the game or whatever. And I thought it contrasted so hugely with, as you put in your piece this morning, Sean, the eulogies that were spoken for hurling and Mm. UNESCO heritage and blah, blah, blah the next day, uh, ignoring ignoring the substantive point of of the idea of bringing in the rule. But at least, you know, people standing up and making a case for what game they wanted. Yeah. And yet... Like, no, there is that. There is a huge difference between the, the way football and hurling are treated in that respect. Uh, tell people, Sean, about how the hurling, um, the black card, yeah, debate, how I, it went. Well, well what happened was uh, David Hassan got up and and gave his. This is this is the chair of the standing committee on the playing rules, and he got up and made his case for it. He said that they've been analysing hurling matches over the last two years and found that. Uh, cynical fouling um, was quite prominent, prevalent in the game. Um, 48% of the fouls they analysed. And thus, uh, he's saying that, the, that, that it is now accepted even by uh, the hurling priesthood that this exists in the game. So to accept that it exists in the game and do nothing about it um, you, it's you know, doesn't Irish make sense. Of, of, uh, of doing well, things. well, it's it's, it's uh, <laughs> in many ways it's a yeah it's a, it's it's a, it's a national <laughs> it's culture what we're built but, on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so anyway, he's he's made these 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 arguments, but but when the motion went to the floor, um, virtually all the um, contributions were simply about Harley being the greatest game in the world, mm. and you know there was uh, and there was a you know if it's. Uh, not broken. Why fix it? Spotted at at, at, at at various stages during it as well, and uh, you know, leave leave well alone. There was a suggestion that hurling's magnificence was built on the whole concept of fifteen against fifteen, which, of course, would uh, limit your disciplinary <laughs> <That's a new laughs> uh, options. It was actually built uh, on twenty-one versus twenty-one. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. but uh, village against village. But, yeah. but, but my my point would be in relation to it, there was no substantive engagement with what David Hassan was saying, uh, and. Someone said gloomily, you know, David Hassan is the, the, the distinguished academic from Derry that it doesn't help to have a northern accent talking yeah. about hurling never rules. Does. Never, uh, never does. You know, regardless, yeah. of, regardless of the, the, the evidence that he was uh, set, setting out. So uh, it it was 
it was overwhelming. Uh, uh, a, a tidal wave of guff swept the hall, <laughs> and the vote was ninety-five to five percent against. So, uh, leading to John Horan saying afterwards that you know it's it's hard to see any any future, yeah. any 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 immediate future for uh, not not just for the the Sinman, the black card, but for moves to deal with cynicism in hurling. You know, that in other words, it's all been swept away by this because it's the greatest game in the world. I love the fact that it, there was no empirical evidence used to combat the empirical evidence no. presented. It's like, I remember Stephen Colbert used to have this, Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Stephen Colbert used to have that word, uh, truthiness. Truthiness, yeah. Where, where things just, you know, they feel kind of true. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. might have your truth, but I've got <laughs> truthiness. Yeah. And it feels to me like hurling's perfect. Yeah. And let's yeah. just leave it. But, I think Brian Hogan had a good point last week that hurling needs a... A Sean Kavanagh moment. I know you're going to tell me that that rule was coming in before no, know, Sean yeah, Kavanagh yeah, did anything, yeah. but it needs a kind of a, Something a watershed moment where everybody, TJ Reid is going through in the last minute of an All-Ireland yeah. final and gets dragged down and everybody goes, oh, right. Yeah. Um, but until then. Yeah, but even even then, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's, uh, it is interesting, I mean, the point that Maliki makes that this is, it, there is a difference. But I think also, I think to be fair, to the situation, a, a great deal of unease had built up about the direction of football. You know, but certainly yeah. when the football review committee yeah. sat and they did their big uh, consultation uh, exercise. Uh, but but since then, there's just been uh, a whole chapter after chapter of yeah. attempts to fix fix football. But um, it's and the thing is, Sean, I, I mean, I shared that on ease. You know, I, God knows I was at enough of those matches. Mm. Uh, and the game had become just kind of stuck in a rut of its own sort of obduracy. And that's fine. And it's fine to, it's fine to take measures. It's, it's a responsible thing to try and fix it, to try and make it a better game, to try and make it a more enjoyable thing to watch and to play. A hundred percent. But like... Uh, does it then become, you know, does it, is it then something that a game that is carte blanche? People have carte blanche to tinker with it and fiddle about with it, and to keep at it, even in a in a situation like this, where okay, so that's another rule to to fix Gaelic football. We just voted through without without anybody, you know, yeah. arguing about the merits of it. And like, yeah. like this is not a small sport. This, this, I think this is what annoyed me more than anything. Like, this is the biggest sport in the country by plenty of metrics that you want to use. Like, it, it's not like you know, f- you know, f- changing the dimensions of handball courts or 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 whatever it is. It's a big bleeding sport played in every county and near, near enough every town in in the country. And like to to make wh- structural changes to the playing of it and just. Nodded through in in the space of ninety seconds on a Friday night, while you while you have other things on your mind like a presidential vote that is just coming in any minute now, it just seems seems needlessly blithe. To well, me. I think I, I think it's the the old situation of no one missing a slice of a cut loaf at this stage. There's been so many changes mm-hmm. to football that uh, it's almost conditioned for changes to, to to keep happening. Actually, one constituency. Uh, that we haven't heard uh, anything from, uh, certainly anything printable, is referees who mm. were already getting a little bit weary. I mean, remember, we've we've been down this road before, the Special Congress in October, think of how little contemplation the whole forward mark oh, got. Oh, yeah. And, and that was something that had been had been seen and trialled yeah. and talked about and there was kind of evidence around it. And yet there was only one 
uh, caveat entered. That was by Pat, Pat Doherty, for, formerly of Croke Park, saying, you know, we should consider referees in all of this. Mm. And uh, again, I'm, I wonder what they're making of the idea now that they they will have to uh, further their uh, their bilocation module training uh, <laughs> as, because this is going to have to be uh, adjudicated down at one end of the ground and you've the centrefield mark then uh, taking place. You know, um, I don't know. John, I suppose the other big thing from the weekend was um, Larry McCarthy is the new president-elect of the GEA. So he's he's from the New York club, is that how you say it, or is he from... He's from New York. He's uh, he's affiliated to the Sligo Club in New York, and he's been in, in North America for a long time uh, now, for decades. He's from Bishopstown in Cork originally, but he'd be well known around the, the, the GAA. He's been uh, he's been inv- involved in Congress, has gone back the years. He's uh, a familiar figure out in, in, in New York in Gaelic Park. Um, but he does live in New York. Is that oh, not, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Is that not right. a real oddity, no? Uh, well, it's certainly, yeah, it's unprecedented, but uh, he's already said he'll be moving home for the three years. So he's uh, he's, he's an academic in Seton Hall University, uh, but he obviously has tied that one up uh, at that end. So he's going to be, uh, he's going to be based here for, uh, I don't know about the coming year, um, presumably not, but for the three years of his term of office, he's going to be in, in Ireland. It's the first time an overseas um, member has has been elected president, but he had already been elected a trustee, which is one of the the two members of the management committee that get elected by Congress. They're actually technically known as the representative of Congress, and he got a big vote, and, and that topped the polls. So uh, I suppose the uh, his, his popularity had already been attested to uh, previously, but still a slight surprise. People felt maybe Jarlath Burns would, would get it, but it was very much 50-50. You could talk to delegates beforehand who thought Burns would win and to others who thought McCarthy would. So uh, it was it, it was historic because he's overseas, but it wasn't totally out of the blue. Jarrath uh, uh, had, had certainly run the uh, the best, uh, the most visible media campaign. You know, I hadn't seen an awful lot with Larry Yeah, McCarthy but the that's the thing. I mean, but but Jarrath Burns is well known. Yeah, you know, that too. The, yeah, of course. It's, yeah. it's 20 years since yeah. since he, he captained Armagh to win the Ulster title mm-hmm. and he's been involved in committees uh, like the Playing Rules Committee and he's been a regular attender and contributor to Congress. Uh, so he is, he, he is, he is well, well known, all, all right. But uh, uh, it, 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 and he, that was probably reflected at the first count. He was, he, he was ahead on that, mm. but. Uh, evidently not sufficiently far ahead. So, uh, yeah, it, it was. But it was always going to go down to the two of them. There were three other candidates as well, but uh, but they didn't. And in fairness to Jim Bulger, the former Leinster chairman, he probably he probably outperformed expectations of all five candidates, mm. and he was only within eight votes of Larry McCarthy on the first count. So, uh, so yeah, so 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 it was, it was yeah a historical election. Well, Sean, I'm glad you enjoyed your your weekend in Croke Park and didn't have to do a game well, off the back you, of it, yeah. and and yeah. you know. We go again, as they say. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. No problem. There was a fantastic piece in The Times on Saturday, Pat, uh, written by Emmett Malone uh, about the nature of uh, football supporting in Ireland. Yeah. Soccer supporting, not not the uh, the one that we were droning on about in the first half. Mm. Uh, and Emmett is with us. Uh, Emmett's out in Abbottstown. You're out there ahead of the women's match on Thursday, Emmett. Uh, yeah, it's John, Johnstown House in uh, Oh, it's Johnstown, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. that's where the, the women's team are based this week. So, uh, yeah, they've been, they're, they're out here 
here for training and uh, yeah, just waiting for for uh, some some press they're putting up on Anya Gorman and Katie McCabe and okay. uh, Rihanna Jarrett. Yeah, this is um, a really interesting piece on, on Saturday, uh, and Thank uh, you. it took uh, it, it it seemed to take a lot of work. Uh, you, you sit beside me, and uh, a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, I've seen you harumphing uh, and harumphing and wisely, sighing yeah. and wheezing <laughs> under the weight of uh, all the numbers you were putting together. You might tell people what was in it. Yeah, so, uh, look, uh, what happened was that, uh, you know, a few months back, uh, the people at Cork University Press got in touch and asked, uh, would I do something? Would I be interested in doing something on the kind of nature of football sport? And I was saying that I was interested in the kind of phenomenon of Irish people sporting British clubs and um, and would be interested in doing it if we could get some research done. So, um, yeah, so I organised an opinion poll uh, and um, and we ran the results on Saturday. And basically, it's uh, going out and asking Irish people across the country who they support and why. And and, um, uh, you know, it was across the league. So people could say anybody they wanted to. They could say more than one team. Uh, the level of um, commitment was kind of measured subsequently. But the entry level, like to say you were a fan of some team, took next to nothing. The question was essentially, I, I read it to you, which football club would you say you support no matter how passively? And, um, and the results were kind of predictable in one sense in that Manchester United and Liverpool uh, um, came out on top. Um, but the, 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 the scale of it was quite something. Um, uh, Manchester United, 15% of the population. Um, uh, Liverpool, 13%. So, so you're talking about a million adults um, uh, across the 26 counties saying that, you know, no matter how, like you can get into, as many people have on social media with me, um, you can get into the extent of that support. Mm. I think we're talking about here people who identify with the clubs to the level that perhaps their their young son supports them or young daughter supports them and, and that they look out for the results because they're being good parents or whatever. It's not a high level of commitment. The bar is not set high. But um, but a, a million adults across the country uh, say that they identify with these these uh, the, these teams on, on no matter how low level. Um, Celtic are next with 7% of the population and Arsenal and uh, Barcelona on four and, and a lot of surprise out there amongst them. Um, supporters of, of, of British clubs uh, about Barcelona figuring so prominently. But we have seen the rise of of, uh, of European leagues in, in Ireland. I mean, you know, if you go back to the 80s and 90s, the, the prominence of Syria, obviously that's been utterly displaced by La Liga. Um, uh, in, in, I think in, in kind of consciousness, of particularly of, of younger uh, supporters. And in Cork City, in a, in a 3%, which equates, I mean, each percentage point in this thing, um, equates to 35,700 people. So you're talking about just over 100,000 people there, 107,000 people, I think it is, uh, for Cork City. Say that, you know, but that's with a big catchment area, the city itself, the, you know, the, the survey for that. I mean, almost all of their uh, positive respondents were in um, were in Munster, you know. So, yeah, that's 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 basically the 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 very, the very broad outline of it. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of it, Emmett, was you had a stat that um, more than forty percent of men describe results as being important, very important, or central to their lives. <laughs> and uh, then you, to go along with that, you had how people end up supporting clubs, and yeah. like. There's a there was a reasonably large percentage of people that supported a club because they liked the colour they wear and stuff like that. <laughs> like that's how arbitrary it was for something yeah, that becomes. It is, it, it is very arbitrary. I mean, so the key reasons that people end up supporting clubs, and again, they were they were able to name more than one 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 factor. So there was a lot of components to this, but there was four sort of components, if I can remember them correctly, uh, that were all pretty prominent, and that they were. Uh, 
uh, they were, you know, liking a player that that played for them, player or players that played for the, the club at the time that you were you were picking your team, and 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 you know, Irish players would be a big part of that uh, historically. So you know, I, I had a separate piece there ahead of the League Cup final with uh, some Aston Villa fans, and 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 it was a recurring theme with them that uh, so many of them had got into the club uh, in the early 90s, post Italia 90, when McGrath, Townsend, Ray Houghton, and uh, Steve Staunton were there, and that you know that that historic has been a big factor but you know beyond that uh, taking the Irish element out of it you know you get kids now attaching themselves essentially the principle would be on the basis that Mo Salah becomes their favourite player or whatever that is you know so so that was one that was I think that was the the, large, the, the most popular reason selected um, your friends supporting them so peer pressure from the kids you're hanging around with uh, a, a parent you know usually a father uh, supporting them and, uh, and the other one was success at the time so I mean we're all fairly familiar with the with the kind of phenomenon, obviously Liverpool now again would be picking up fans. If you look through, there's a lot of detail on ages in this, and if you look through um, the various uh, clusters of ages, uh, Manchester United absolutely tower over Liverpool and and uh, way ahead of everybody else uh, for the period that they would have been hugely successful over. Um, you know that you would have expected kids to be uh, picking a team during uh, the time that they were hugely successful under Alex Ferguson. So so there's a lot of that. Going back to the colour thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised in a way that how few people had a historical link to the people. Now, there would have been an element here of, you know, there was it, the survey was ba- based across 1,033 people uh, all around the uh, 26 counties, uh, representatives of, of people on base of age, gender and uh, geography. Um, you would have been catching some people in those who were uh, you're born outside the state, born in England. Uh, you'd also have quite a few people, as I came across uh, while, while talking to people from some of the accompanying articles, whose parents were born, uh, came from towns in England or cities mm. in England and who moved here at uh, quite an early age. So there was, there was all of those elements. In terms of the colour thing, one of the things that that threw up was one of the kind of uh, interesting kind of anomalies that, 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 that came up and a lot of people raised it uh, over the weekend on social media. And that was the fact that, you know, in, in, uh, in the Leinster, so it was, it was a national poll um, and, and they would be the most kind of scientifically reliable um, uh, results. But we broke it down then into regions. And, and you get into regions, it's quite, they're quite small sample groups and, and the margin of error becomes larger. But one of the weirder things that came come out was that, you know, in the poll, uh, Hearts came out as the, um, as the seventh most yeah. supported club in, in, in uh, Leinster. And the weird, kind of, there was a couple of odd factors about that. I mean, clearly it's an aberration. Uh, um, you, you can't imagine they are possibly the seventh uh, supported club in Leinster or anything like it. But it was an interesting, like, we saw this uh, report, um, uh, we saw this stat kind of, kind of come out last week, uh, late last week, when we were kind of delving into it and um, breaking it down by region. And this might have been one of the moments that I would have been quietly weeping beside you there, Mal. Um, <laughs> Wasn't that um, I was trying to figure this out, but it took a, a little while to figure out that when, when you looked across the reasons people picked clubs, there was a uh, spike with hearts about picking them for uh, the colour that they played in. It was an abnormally high number of respondents gave that reason. There's also a player from Mullingar in Westmead, uh, Aidan Keena, who used to play for hearts. And, um, and the sample is very small, so you didn't need very many people. And so between them, you got a handful of people going for hearts uh, and they would be, I think, 
two contributory reasons plus a bit of kind of just random luck involved but uh, there was that sort of thing with the regional stuff as you say the national stuff more more kind of on, on the money I think and very little between a lot of the clubs um, at the lower end I mean it was surprised that the likes of Everton and Leeds didn't uh, feature more prominently but um, but you can see the patterns you know they're, they're smallish numbers in a lot of those cases, but um, but doing better amongst older supporters. And what we see, I think, the, suge- the suggestion here is that um, that you know people are picking clubs. It's becoming more concentrated on on, on the big. You know, as you see in every other way, the, the big the big are getting bigger and uh, and kind of hoovering up um, the support. And with that, the future revenue streams um, that that go with that uh, over, over the coming years. I love the idea of uh, of uh, lads wearing Hearts jerseys to West Mees matches. The way the, yeah, way, yeah. the way you wear your Boca Juniors jersey to uh, to Tipperary matches. Past. Yeah, oddly enough, oddly <laughs> enough, the other the, the other big aberration that came out of this, like that we, we didn't get into it because we didn't uh, publish the, the the age breakdowns. But the other big aberration, I think, was that uh, Galway United featured incredibly uh, strongly in uh, the eighteen to twenty four age group. I mean, like just like you mm. know, bigger than you know a, a lot of uh, clubs would be nationally. And, and again, there's, a, there's oddly, really oddly enough, there there's a there's a, an overlap with the colours again, you know. So it's it's a funny thing. I I found that uh, heartening as well, uh, Emmett, that there was such a such a good representation for League of Ireland clubs through this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I me too. I, I was really pleased by that because, to be honest, I mean, if, you know, there's a lot of people saying that it's always really kind of sad that. They're tired over all these clubs, but we knew that. Yeah. You know, nobody could be under any illusions. You know, um, you go into any schoolyard in the country, and uh, and there's kids playing in Manchester United, Liverpool, Celtic, Arsenal, Barca, all the all the top clubs. But I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty pretty impressive that that you know over a hundred thousand people, according to this, would identify uh, with Cork City. Uh, Dundalk uh, just made it into the top 10 and then Shamrock Rovers uh, both of those Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers on 2% nationally of the population uh, my memory of this is I don't have the exact figures in front of me uh, Dundalk just over 2% uh, Shamrock Rovers very factionally under it um, but not in it I mean these are still reasonably serious numbers you're talking mm. about 70,000 people um, uh, identifying with those clubs there, and and I and I suspect you know one of the things I've been, I spent a lot of the weekend talking to people about on social media is you know uh, the, the the levels, and and you can break this this down, get into a lot of detail about the kind of you know. Uh, the entry level was, as I say, just kind of basically you 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 consider yourself a fan in some way. Then there's kind of looking out for results, is watching games on tele- television, whatever. And I, I, I and you know I I particularly um, Everton and, and Leeds and Villa fans kind of questioning um, how poorly they did in, in numbers wise. But I think what you would do is if you got into the three percent or so who uh, are season ticket holders or. Um, Season ticket holders are very regular travel travelers uh, to games. Uh, then you know the the whole thing would flatten out very greatly. I mean, I don't mm. like Liverpool and Manchester United would have those sort of leads. And I think that you get you know with the League of Ireland clubs the same thing. You get a factor whereby you know obviously a higher percentage of those people are going to games um, and uh, and taking a more of an active interest. Uh, it very with the League of Ireland clubs, it's not a national thing. Uh, Cork City just about snuck into the Leinster list. Uh, Presumably based on on a handful of, uh, of people from the region, kind of exactly living in living in maybe commuter towns. I'm not sure if, for Dublin, um, but um, but by and large, after that, it's very much they're well supported in their own backyards. You see Galway United, Finn Harps, uh, Bohemians, Pats, um, 
all making the list in their or Limerick uh, featured quite prominently, all making the list, but in their own regions, be it, you know, uh, Connacht, Ulster, Munster, Dublin, um, all kind of fairly, but, but you know, but but strong showings in those areas. And I, I actually think that's, I think that's really hugely encouraging. And um, I mean, for, for Cork City to have even a, a quite passive base of over 100,000, I mean, I don't know what numbers you'd have to get down to, to, to get to people who currently actively support the club, go to games, uh, you know, buy merchandise, whatever mm. that is. I think the numbers here are still promising. And you see, you know, the game is growing at the moment. I think by and large, uh, attendances are going up. And, and you see a game like Friday night and you see, you know, it, 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 be, it beginning to um, sort of show what its potential is. Uh, if you if you have the right facilities, if you have teams of a high enough quality, if you package it in the right way. And, um, and, and you know, I think all of those factors fell into place on Friday night when we saw a really excellent game mm. between two good teams in front of a big crowd in a good setting and and, and it looked good on TV from what I can see I've only it seen did, highlights yeah. back of it I was at the match you know, so it's it's all it's all very positive Well I wanted to ask you about that uh, because it was funny I was I, I watched the, the vast majority of the game on, on Friday yeah. night and, and actually had an idea of maybe talking to you about it uh, on the podcast anyway yeah. uh, because I, I was wondering like you, God knows Emmett you've been around for many many uh, fall stones with the league yeah. uh, over the years but it does I do get that sense that there it, it is getting a bit more traction currently than let's to pick an arbitrary time sort of yeah. 10 years ago or whatever yeah, do you, yeah, yeah, sure. it, it, it is is that feeling abroad uh, within the league, and, and and do you get that? Yeah, I, I think it's funny you say ten years ago because I think ten years ago there was a feeling that there was a lot of progress being made, uh, you know, or just mm. over ten years. You go back to t- two thousand and eight, and the country was booming, and there was a lot of kind of money floating around. And there was a lot of money being put into various clubs by people with discretionary kind of um, budgets uh, at their disposal. And some of those were builders and other kind of businesses linked to the linked to the boom. And then, you know, the, the, the backside fell out of it uh, very, very quickly. And clubs were thrown into crisis, budgets slashed around the place, players not being paid. It was a terrible time for the league. I think what you see now is, you know, a, rec- a major recovery. It's been going on for a few years, but a more cautious and structured approach to the way the game is uh, is progressing and you certainly see it at um, at the leading clubs you see what Shamrock Rovers are doing in terms of their academy uh, you see what uh, Dundalk are doing in terms of the full-time squad that they've assembled I don't think I could be wrong about this maybe somebody will laugh at me in a, in a, in a club somewhere but I don't think the budgets are across the board quite as high as they were then certainly the um, the budgets in terms of the amount of revenue being just brought in from benefactors I don't think is as high as it was then I think you're seeing gate receipts go up you're seeing commercial revenue come up you're seeing a better business plan being put in, in place in terms of developing players I mean they're, they're, there's still so much ground to be made up mm. but, but you also see at a club like say Bohemians and you know um, and I've gotten into trouble before for citing them as an example of this thing but, but I remember going to um, a press conference uh, ahead of their, their one of their big anniversaries and they were saying um they were saying that they were going to, you know, use it as an exam to get into the community and go and embed themselves in the local community, Fibsborough and the surrounding areas. And we were kind of asking, like, how has it taken 100 years plus to, to do this? Yeah. <laughs> and, they were, and they were kind of holding up their hands and saying that they had to admit that, that they didn't really know. Um, but the situation was that you had, a, you know, a, traditionally in the League of Ireland, what you've had is is first teams and, and, and just so little below that. And um, sure. over the last 10, 15, 20 years, but particularly in the last few years, We've seen that situation dramatically change. We've seen clubs get out into their local communities, 
uh, they've been helped by the fact that um, the underage structures have changed so that they are now fielding teams in the underage leagues. And so the clubs have far bigger memberships than they used to have. But they're mm. also doing very progressive stuff in terms of working with their communities, working with, you know, whether it be migrant communities or young people in schools or uh, elderly people just doing community projects, which has forged an identity with them at the same time that we've seen the football on the field improve again because we have more full-time players, they're training in better facilities, they're playing on better pitches. All of the things that we knew were wrong with the league for a very long time are improving. They're, they're doing this against the background that everyone across Europe is also, you know, improving. The monster that is the Premier League, you know, gets bigger by the year and, and continues to attract, as the survey shows, you know, so many people um, uh, still look to that to that league. But I think we are seeing a, a lot of progress here and, and perhaps getting to a stage where um, where it would it just achieve a sort of critical mass of being able to um, compete in its own right. What, what we've had is a very small minority. It's been the League of Ireland at times has been viewed or certainly is continues to be viewed by people outside of it who know nothing about it who have no grow for it as a sort of cult mm. um, but um but I think we are getting to, to to the stage where the quality is there, the stage there. I mean, there's a lot of the grounds are still very poor. And that is something that I don't think anybody uh, disagrees needs to be addressed uh, and needs to be addressed really urgently, whether it's by, you know, I mean, we've had the proposals from Kieran Lucid for an All-Ireland League. And absolutely central to that is uh, is is uh, putting in place um, a, a network of new, far, you know, far improved uh, stadiums. Um, we're competing here as a, as a sport or the league is competing here as a sport with, cinemas and other forms of entertainment so that's a key area of progress but in terms of the the standard of the play which we certainly saw on friday night um you know it's it's it has certainly made a a very great deal of progress we've seen uh, teams play better a better brand of football and they're fitter because they're full-time and they're playing in 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 better settings and so yeah absolutely look i mean maybe it'll be another false dawn but right now it it, it does seem like it's it's in a good place and moving towards a better one Excellent. Listen, Emma, thanks very much. And and uh, everybody, uh, people who missed out on it on Saturday should go on the website and check this out because there's loads yeah, and loads for, of detail. Uh, yeah, for sure. I hope so. And there's yeah. a lot more detail behind the scenes, which mm. uh, which we're we're gonna we're gonna put up over the coming weeks. And, uh, and it's just a question, really, of. Uh, of of figuring out how to package it in a kind of user friendly way, so that you're not just uh, like me wading through uh, ten thousand day three printouts <laughs> and, uh, and and trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. Thanks a million, Emmett. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. And thank you to Sean, who was in earlier talking about Congress. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Bob. Uh, thanks, Declan, behind the desk. And we will see everybody next week. Take it easy, folks. Cheers.